Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. to dunk and I'm down to dunk I'm down to dunk this is J-Dub and I'm down to dunk I'm Shaco's Alexander and I'm down to dunk this is Lindy Waters and I'm down to dunk I'm Mike Muscal and I'm down to dunk this is Jay will and I'm down to dunk this is Kenneth Williams and I'm down to dunk this is Lou Dort and I'm down to dunk we say this is Lou Dort and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> this is Lou Dort and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, as always, on Wednesdays is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, oh, what's up? What's up, Andrew? Just I, I'm a, a Russ stand this morning. Are you? About, tweeting about Russell Westbrook. I haven't seen. I've been locked into... Uh, I've been writing the, the the show Point of Contention all morning. If you don't listen to that, you should listen to it. It's on the Athletic NBA show. It's a very fun show. Um, uh, True, True Hoop did a little piece about uh, Jokic's triple-double. And triple-doubles. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he got his hundredth. And uh, like the opening line is a, comparing Jokic's triple-doubles to Westbrook's. And I hear this all the time. It gets brought up where, you know, like, well, Jokic is doing it as a byproduct of winning. You know, like he's getting a triple double the right way, the ethical way. And then you go look at the winning percentages. Jokic in Denver, in his he's won eighty two of the hundred games in which he's had a triple double, eighty two percent. It's very good. When Westbrook was in OKC, he had one hundred and thirty eight triple doubles. He won eighty percent of the time. Yeah, in OKC. Yeah, and I, I just it just bothers me for some reason. Like people just ignore that the Thunder were really really good. When Westbrook got a triple-double. They were playing like one of the best teams in the league when he got a triple-double. Yeah. Listen, like, for the most part, like, my Russ standum is over. And I'm glad because it's exhausting for, like, the reasons that you're detailing. But people just completely rewrite his entire career. And, like, yes, have the last, like, couple years been bad? Yeah. Like, have the last, like, few times been the playoffs not been great? Sure. But to completely act like he's just, like, this loser is just so wildly inaccurate. And just, like, it's just wrong. I it That kind of stuff does make me mad that it's, like, what are we, what are we doing here? It'll, it'll only get worse, too. I mean... It's so funny comparing his like career accolades to any of these other guys he gets compared to. Yeah. Like they're not close yet. No. Like can Jokic make it to a finals? Like obviously like Jokic is a better player than Russ at his peak. But like he still has a lot to prove. He still has to do something in the playoffs and for all of Russ's failures, like he made the finals. He was an MVP. Yeah. He made multiple conference finals. 
what do you make four? Yeah, conference finals. It's just it's just annoying. It's just it annoys me, and I don't. I'm not even like a huge rest stand. Yeah, I just it, it's because people are like trying to rewrite that period of Oklahoma City basketball, yeah. which I have very fond memories of yeah. for the most part. And and that that part of it is what annoys me. Yeah, that is so. Annoying. <sighs> yeah, that's annoying. Clippers lost again last night. <laughs> oh, and three in the Russ era. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been rough, especially down the stretch. He did he hasn't quite helped in in the way that I thought he would because I thought it's like the the arc of the Clippers, as detailed by our guy Law Murray, is like they start out looking great and then they kind of lose steam as the game goes along. Yeah. Um, and I thought maybe Russ could help like being like a second and third quarter player, but it hadn't quite, hadn't quite gotten there yet. And I guess the good news for the Clippers is like, everybody's not that good <laughs> in the West and like everybody's in the mix still. And so, well, yeah. Yeah. The more I think about it, it's like teams like Denver teams like Phoenix, maybe Memphis, they are in such a good situation because of how just mid the rest of the Western conferences. Like I don't trust any of these teams. Like once you get beyond who's in the fifth spot, right? Well, it's the Clippers. Clippers. Yes. Once you get beyond four, yeah. You know, Phoenix, Sacramento. Hey, one of my biggest takeaways from these last two games is Sacramento is a really, really good offense. Yeah. Like they're terrifyingly good. They're historic. In some ways. Yeah. They're historic. Uh, yeah, they are historic. Best offense ever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a good setup for those teams because everyone's talking about, obviously, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, and just like none of those teams really inspire me. Obviously, if Steph gets back, that changes things. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. W- let's talk about these, these, this Kings game because it was a roller coaster. Yeah. Emotions. Some, was it some, a roller coaster of emotions in the arena? Definitely. There there was I mean the one charge 3 that went down that brought them within one. Uh, yeah. Everybody was going nuts in the arena over that. It was People really were loud. buying Sarge jerseys flying off <laughs> flying off the ranks. <laughs> hey, I I think Sarge is sticking around. I, I thought there might be a chance that he gets bought out. I know that you, you mean beyond this season or just the I mean, rest of the season. I don't know. I mean, it's possible that he sticks around next season, but I mean, at least for the rest of the season, I thought there was a good chance he gets bought out. You know, yeah. But and we'll talk about this in a little bit too, like the whole tanking conversation. We'll get to it after we talk about this game. But that was a big moment. Uh, a low point. Mark Degnall just absolutely lost his mind. On, on at the team, no. Well, it's funny because Joe Masato thought that it was at the team because he's yelling Aaron. There's a but there's an official named Aaron that was uh, officiating the game last night, and he absolutely went ballistic on Aaron. And for a second, Joe thought it was at Aaron Wiggins. He was like, yeah. He was like, what in the world did Aaron Wiggins do? Because Mark. <laughs> just screaming and as he's like right in front of joe and i and he's just yelling aaron you that up just like and do you, do you know what play it was yeah it was the, it was the uh so it was early on charge had an and one that was called a travel oh okay um and he did not travel 
it was clear on the replay. Mark like stood there like looking at the the jumbotron. Yeah. And like he clearly just moved his pivot foot and then finished. And they called it a travel. And he just he went ballistic in the moment at him and then he called a timeout. And the entire timeout <laughs> was just spit berating <laughs> Aaron Smith. Poor Aaron Smith. Um but and I was telling Joe this last night. Th- those are moments where, like, Marcus is so like kind of unassuming in, in a lot of ways. As like an NBA coach in general, he's unassuming. Yeah. Um, and then as like a guy that you feel like can he like handle like the rigors of coaching and like be like have this competitive fire. He's got he's got the competitive fire. Oh yeah, I mean not to pile on this guy but yeah steven silas in comparison remember when he had the post-game press conference where he was he was <laughs> mad and like no one really believed it he may well have been completely mad and that was all real right but like it wasn't convincing like, when mark gets pissed like oh you believe like oh, okay that it's guy's great really pissed. it's great it was it was in that moment where he is not spending the time out talking to his team about what they can do better but spending the entire time out just absolutely just berating this official that I thought, right. I thought, you know what? I think Mark Degnall's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it was in that moment that I thought that. Um, that I don't know. I like that kind of stuff. I like to see Mark just kind of lose it a little bit because, like, all the great coaches do that. They all have like that in them. And I don't know, Mark's got it too, which is kind of cool to see. So I think a lot of people's initial reaction to that game was, wow, the Thunder played a horrible defense, like awful defense. Yeah. But I just want I just wanted to bring up some stats because I thought this was kind of interesting. I went on cleaning the glass afterwards and was just looking at the game. Show me. So tell me. Overall, the uh, Sacramento Kings offense in that game was uh in terms of their offensive efficiency 118.3 yeah do you know what their average offensive efficiency is for the season 120 118 oh, okay so like <laughs> sacramento had an average offensive game and if you look at their last four games their last game against okc they were a 124 that game against the clippers was like 134 and then the game against the blazers before that was like 130 so in terms of offensive efficiency, this was actually their worst offensive performance of the last four games. Wow. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that um, is interesting. And so I went back and I was watching the game mainly just to watch Giddy because, you know, Giddy plays the career low minutes, right? Yeah, I went and looked. I, I manually went and looked at, at all the game logs. And, and it was career low. Career low in minutes career low in plus minus as well which is some of that is that he didn't play in that memphis game <laughs> i know yeah i was thinking about that because um, what is jerry's plus minus in the memphis it was like game? a minus 56 i like <laughs> yeah. i went and looked at it yesterday too so yeah career i mean which like okay it's one game like don't i don't i would say like don't do anything with these stats but it is like notable Right, right, right. Yeah. So I just wanted to go back and watch just to be like, was he really that bad? Mm-hmm. And so as I'm watching the game, like, you know, they weren't great defensively. But the thing that popped out was how bad they were in transition. Yeah. And I went back on Clean the Glass because they break it down. 
this kind of blew my mind. So in the half court, OKC's offense was actually better than Sacramento's last night. They had a 109.5 rating in the, just in the half court, and Sacramento was a 104.5, wow. which isn't good. Yeah. Doesn't, however... It doesn't match the eye test for me. <laughs> it doesn't. But however, in transition, this is where it gets kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Points per play in transition for Sacramento, 152.6 per 100 possessions, compared to OKC in transition... 61.5. Yikes. Now, what's crazy about that is Sacramento only had three steals. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were ste- getting racking up all these steals, getting all these like wide-open transition layups because of the steals. Mm-hmm. Like This was off of rebounds that they're just getting down the court quicker oh, than OKC. They're pushing. And there were m- yeah. multiple plays like that. There was one in particular. Actually, there was a back-to-back where they had two transition plays in a row. And the second one, it was Harrison Barnes, like outrunning, I, I think it was Isaiah Joe, hmm. who should have matched up to him. And he just flew by him and then got a super easy layup. So that was the part of that game defensively that actually bothered me the most. Because you look at a team like OKC and it's like, why shouldn't they be good in transition other than the fact that they're young? But, like, they've been a good defensive team on the season. And so I went back and looked at what have they been doing in transition this season. And it was actually kind of interesting. So there's this stat called points plus per possession, which is like points added per 100 possessions. Basically, OKC is 10th in that stat, which means they don't give a lot. Don't, they don't give up a lot of transition opportunities. Yeah. They, they've actually been pretty good at limiting transition opportunities. However... When the team gets a transition opportunity in terms of points per play, they drop to 18th in the league. Hmm. So they've been pretty good at limiting transition opportunities, but when teams get into transition, they actually have, they've been below average. And that's kind of what we saw last night, where I think Sacramento had 22 transition points to OKC's seven. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that is credit, credit to Sacramento. Yeah, for real. I mean, they, had, they ran this play in the first quarter and Sabonis is just like so good at this. He like brought the ball up the court is facing towards the basket. Keegan Murray is running behind him and he just bounces the ball with his left hand so that Keegan Murray can pick it up as he curls around him and Giddy's, you know, desperately trying to follow him around this because it does not look like a normal pick and roll or, or even a normal dribble handoff. Mm -hmm. And then Keegan Murray kicks it out to Kevin Herter. I think it was Isaiah Joe was like caught off balance and then, Kevin Herter drove into the lane. Their offense is kind of terrifying. And at the beginning of that game in the first quarter, I think it was like 24 to 15. Nine of those points were Davion Mitchell hitting his first three threes. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that starting lineup, it's like, what shot would you more want them to take than a Davion Mitchell three? He's shooting 32% on the season. Everyone else on that court is terrifying on the Kings. Either, either from range or in close. And so like I kind of understood why they were letting Davion hit, take those threes, but that was the difference in the early going. I mean, it was a nine-point lead all of a sudden, and it was because Davion Mitchell hit his first three threes. So I do think there was some luck, well, unluckiness factored into Giddy ending up being a minus 32. Um, Michele was texting with the group last night and just saying that, you know, Giddy is a step slow on a lot of possessions mm-hmm. where 
he will lose his man and maybe his man doesn't end up being the guy who actually scores. But as a result of Giddy losing his man, the defense is scrambling and it leads to a relatively easy basket for someone else. And because you're playing a team like the Kings who are just flinging the ball around the court, yeah. it is accentuated in a game against a team like Sacramento. Maybe then it would be in a, in a game against some other team. Yeah. We'll say Houston since they're always our example. <laughs> yeah. Houston, <laughs> Houston, Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. The the Kings are difficult to defend. And I think it was not a great Lou Dort game either. Obviously, he only played 21 minutes, which is, I think, like the third lowest. That that was honestly probably even more surprising because you you kind of would think that Mark would just leave him out. No, he was like, you could tell he was mad about the way that they started the first half and the second half. And he pulled everybody but J-Dub. And well, I think the first time it was like everybody but the Jalen Williamses, yeah. and then it was like, okay, you three get off the court, Giddy, Joe, and Dort. It's like no. Yeah. Somebody pointed out this. I guess it was written somewhere uh, that uh, that Joe Dort. It's like Joe Dirt. I don't know. Mm. So, anyways, that's the thing. <laughs> um, but he just like ripped them off the court. And was like, no, you guys are done. And then he basically played Wiggins and Kenrich. And he played Trey a lot, too, last night. I think he put Trey in at first. But then he basically played K-Rich and Dario and Wiggins as, like, starters, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, it almost worked. I really thought they were going to win the game when they tied it at 98. Yeah. And then they just could not make anything. And it wasn't. I think it was just all just kind of weird, honestly. Like, it was just kind of a weird stretch of the game where there were, I think there were like four, like, very makeable baskets, and they just missed all four of them. And then it was just. And they're also, you know, Mark's deciding whether to put those guys back in for the stretch run, and he, like, brought Giddy back in briefly. Yeah. Giddy back out. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think this is an indictment on any of these guys, honestly. Like, it's just, again, it's just one game. And you're missing your best player who's, like, takes so much pressure off of all these guys. Uh, and the guy – and I just think it's interesting that the guy who, like, was shining last night was J-Dub. I mean, he, yeah, was, and I, he was awesome. I, I do think that's important. Like, the fact that J-Dub is stepping up in Shea's absence – Whereas Giddy seems to be going through one of the tougher stretches of his season, going back to the beginning of the season, like that does feel meaningful a little bit. Yeah. And and that game that J Dub had last night was just awesome because he was super aggressive, almost out of necessity. Like they, they finally found the roster combination where he was kind of forced to be <laughs> aggressive. Well, they just took Dort and Giddy off the off of the and court. So, yeah, they were so like, he had hey, to do it. Now it's and you. he did do it. Yeah, and I kind of did like that because it was Mark basically saying like, hey, I'm just going to put defenders and wings and Sharich out there with you and like you you go get it. Like you yeah, go figure because, this out. Like we all think that J-Dub is a really smart basketball player. Yeah. And so it makes sense that if he's on the court with those guys, he can recognize, oh, I need to step up in this moment. Yeah. Whereas we've seen elsewhere in the season maybe he's more willing to take a back seat to Shea or 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 even Dort if Dort's on the court mm-hmm. um so yeah there was a great game from J-Dub I mean glass half full that's all I'm really focusing on J-Dub was awesome was J-Dub great. is I think clearly the second best player on this team right now yeah I mean the, and I've said this like 
there's not an insignificant chance that that's what he is moving forward. Like, I just think that there's room for improvement. Like, his dribble drive game is obviously something. I believe in the jumper. I think that will come along. He's a good passer, good rebounder. He's got good length. Uh, he's got the right kind of attitude. I don't know. There's just a lot to like about this guy. And he's great. Like those are the and, these are the kind of players that are stars in the league. Like they're like wings with long arms that can that are three level scorers and defenders. And I don't know. Like he he just kind of has it. And that brings me to uh, Giddy, which I do want to talk about Giddy a little bit because yeah. I've been thinking about Giddy a lot lately because I've realized that uh, not necessarily my opinion has changed of him, but just the way I think about him has changed. Like a year ago, probably a little little bit before a year ago, was the not plan A game. Yeah. And yeah. remember all of the conversation around that game. Oh, my gosh. We were talking about like, man, we really want to see Giddy get more ball handling, like lead ball handler minutes. Yeah. Not just because we thought he was like this maestro in the half court. He was throwing all these amazing passes, but also because he couldn't shoot. And so it was like, well, Shea's much better equipped to handle an off-ball role. Yeah. And so we'd like to see Giddy maybe be the lead guard going forward. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this was coming off of SGA's uh, GQ interview mm-hmm. where he described himself as the black Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. So clearly he had this idea of himself as like a point guard. Yep. And then we had this game where I believe they lost, but both Giddy and Shea put up really good numbers. And then Shea has the post-game press conference where he says, you know, someone asks him about that, and he said, well, it's not plan A. Mm-hmm. And that was seen as like such this like pivotal moment in this rebuild process. And a year later, it like seems so inconsequential. Well, they played that one game together against Phoenix where it was. And, yeah, and then Giddy is out, right? Uh, was he out after that game? Did they ever play again after that game? No, 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 no. They didn't play together because then they, I think it was Giddy that was out and then Shea was out and then it was like all over. But a lot of the the focus of that conversation at the time was based around the idea of like, Giddy needs to be our second best player because who else is going to be the second best player on this team? And so if we're trying to optimize our second best player based on what skills he has and does not have, it kind of made sense at the time to kind of go down this path where Giddy might be mm-hmm. the lead ball handler mm-hmm. on the team. A year later, like there's a conservative chance, like conservatively, he would be the fourth best player on this team. Yeah. If J- if we believe J Dub's the second, and if Chet ends up being what we think Chet's going to be. Yeah. And now the conversation talking about the fourth best player on the team versus a guy needing to be the second best player of the team. Like it just changes it. Why is his face right in front of us? Andrew just, has put up a picture of Giddy. I would say an unflattering picture. It's a wild what photo. What he usually looks like. That's a wild photo, isn't it? <laughs> this is a I reason talking, to t- tune into YouTube. That's just, that's just a wild picture. That hair, his hair is going everywhere, man. That's a wild. I was one. talking on the discord last night. I want to see him comb it forward just for one game. <laughs> just like over his eyes. <laughs> emo emo giddy but uh, as a result like i i am thinking about giddy differently now yeah like yeah a lot of his weaknesses are huge issues if you need him to be the second best player on your team yeah but if we go into next season let's say they get a little lucky in in the draft either by moving up or just by falling back the rest of the season 
they get a player that we really like. Who's a player you really like, other than Wemby or Scoot? Um, I mean, I like in like the in that range. Yeah, in like the three to seven range. Pick a name, any name. Uh, that's a who would tough you take third, Andrew? God, you, who would I? You got to decide. That's a. T- it's tough. It's really tough, especially with all the the Brandon Miller weirdness. Because you know, otherwise, like, you would just straight up. You would probably just choose Brandon Miller. Like that's the easy one because yeah, he's big one. and can shoot, and he's is a passer. Yada yada. Like the top. Well, for the sake of this argument, let's just say they took Brandon Miller. Uh, that there's a scenario where Giddy's now the fifth best player on the team. Yeah, yeah. There's a chance and, of that. Keontae George. I'm a Keontae your, George guy. Do what? I said I'm a Keontae George guy. Keontae George guy. Okay. So it's not necessarily that I'm like trying to limit Giddy's ceiling. Yeah. He can still have a high ceiling. It's just I'm thinking more about his floor now because of where he's kind of ended up in the pecking order going forward. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I'm actually feeling okay about Giddy. Whereas if this was the exact same scenario, but last year where we don't have J Dub, we don't have Chet. Yeah. And this is Giddy's second season and this is what's happening, I think I'm a lot more worried. Yeah. Yeah. Or if like they had just gotten one pick, and we can t- we'll talk more about this. I don't think this is how it would have played out. But let's say they just get one pick there, and they just take and they take Jang. Just take Jang. And yes, okay. That's that's kind of perfect because like it's easy to think about Chet when you also have J Dub, and you're like just very excited about that draft class overall. Yeah. If if Jang is in the G League and your other pick is sidelined. And Giddy has to be the second best player for this season. Yeah. Yeah, that changes a lot. Yeah. And for the record, like I think if that were the scenario and somehow we ended up in this exact game last night, yeah. I think Giddy plays like better thirty plus minutes. Oh I just think he just minutes. I think he just plays. Yeah. Like flat out. I, I do think that there was probably part of the coaching staff that's like, okay, let's just see what J Dub does. You know, like Giddy doesn't have it tonight. Like, let's just throw him out there and just see what he's got without, like, an extra ball handler out there. Because I think whenever Giddy or somebody else is out there with him, he tends to defer. Yeah. And so when it's, like, Aaron Wiggins and Kenrich and those guys, like, obviously those guys can handle a little bit too. But it's, like, pretty clear who should have the basketball in those scenarios. So, you know, there there's some – certainly some negativity around there. And, and a lot of it is like, I think people are like going way overboard with the, the thunder are tanking now stuff. Like, I just don't think that's true. <laughs> I just don't think that's true at all. I mean, people are in my mentions with the tank gifts and listen, I am like the guy that would want them to tank. Like I would, I would prefer them to end up with the sixth pick, which is in play or even the fifth pick which is in play too, than nine or ten, but I believe they're still on track to be picking at eight, nine, or ten in this draft, and like getting closer to the play-in than not. Uh, is this reverse psychology? It's not. I wish. I wish it was. I wish I had that kind of power. Mm. Um, but like they made those moves last night in an effort to win the game because Dort and Giddy were not good. And yeah. they, and so it was like, okay, you guys stink tonight. We're going to let you sit, and we're going to play guys that are going to bring it on defense, and we're going to let J-Dub kind of 
you know, handle this. And they almost won. Like they they came close. They had it tied yeah. there toward the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was not a tanking move. Yeah. So like the whole like, oh man, we're in the tank again. I mean, I believe firmly that if Shea didn't get COVID, he would have played last night. And he'd probably be playing again tonight if he didn't have COVID. Yeah. Like it's just an unfortunate thing that happened. That's where I'm like when people are saying like, man, what are the Thunder doing with Shea again? They're doing it again with Shea. I mean, the guy got COVID. He tested positive for COVID. Now, I've, I actually have heard that I don't think that he's like actually like super sick and that he was getting tested for something else or had like something else medically going on where they needed to run a test. And they ran a COVID test too, and it just came back positive. Yeah. And so like part of you wonders is like, okay, so like where is he like in the – covid cycle here like when could he actually have a negative test because right. they're not testing like they norm like they did in the past years um so like he could be at the tail end of it like i don't know um but like the covid thing is just it's just honestly it's just so unfortunate for the for like the thunder and specifically for like their pr team because it's like okay like what can we do like the dude got covid like the thunder aren't like giving him like a COVID pill. Like, Hey man, sorry, you got COVID. Now we put it in your cheeseburger. Like he just got it. And like the, the NBA protocols are like very clear about how you're supposed to handle it. And it just sucks. Like, it's just like a, a, it's just crappy timing. And I think like had Shea played last night, which he was like, he's on track to do. I mean, without De'Aaron Fox, I think the Thunder win. They win. They win that game. Yeah. and I think that the Thunder are on track to win more games going forward. They're not going to pull the plug here. This is not like the beginning of the tank. And, I mean, and that's, to me, that's very clear. That the Thunder are not going to let go of the rope. They're not going to let this all go the rest of the season. Like, Shea's, when Shea is testing negative, he's going to play. And they're going to play hard. And they're going to, I still think they'll fall short of the play-in. But I don't think that anybody is is ready to jump up into like the five or six range i think that they'll still kind of be where we thought they would be uh before this four game losing streak i mean so like the whole tanking conversation like the thunder aren't tanking like shay just got COVID, and that just is what it is well i think for i mean you saw like koc tweeting about it i think that and i'm not saying this about koc but for general NBA fans having something like that, which is, you know, this, this topic about OKC, about how they're always resting Shea and and tanking. Mm -hmm. It makes people feel like they have an opinion about a team that they don't watch. And as a result, (laughs) it makes them feel like they know more about the NBA. And to be fair, like we do this as Thunder fans, like we can't watch every single team every single week. And there are opinions about teams that almost become like memes like because it it just becomes set in stone almost and you'll hear that opinion about that team on every single podcast and it just seeps into the general consciousness and that just becomes the general opinion on that team like the one take about that team that everyone can have and no one other than that fan base will really bat an eye about it Mm -hmm. and that has kind of become the take for okc unfortunately yeah um but, you know, we do it with other teams, I'm sure. 
And so I don't know. I, it does. It's not bothering me as much, partly because I agree with you that like. But I it's Thunder gonna... fans that are in my mentions that are like, "Oh man, we're tanking again." That like people, oh, people that should know better. That's hey, you, you can you can fall into the same trap. I mean, we're all listening to the same pods. You know, if, if you hear your favorite podcasters say it over and over again, at some point it just becomes true. <laughs> but I guess why I'm not freaking out about it is because, like you said, Shay is. We haven't seen the end of Shay. He's like coming, if, if I really believe back. there was a chance that. Shea was done for the season. That we are not going to see him yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, like, honestly, I'd be kind of pissed, and I would be right there with people. But I, I just don't believe that. I yeah. do not believe that. Yeah, that's not on the table right now with Shea. Like, it's just flat out not on the table. So they're gonna have. I mean, and this is just how their entire season has gone, though. When you look back at their entire season, it has just been like this ebb and flow the entire way yeah i mean it does feel like that jazz game was a turning point in it, some in some ways it it did feel like a tipping point both because shea got injured but also because like they were very close to winning that game yeah and if they win that game i'm not saying shea plays but like now all of a sudden they're only on a three game losing streak instead of a four game losing streak maybe they win one of those other games yeah um well, t- now, tonight's a big one. They play the Lakers tonight. Like, yeah, that's a big one. Then they have two against the Jazz. After that, those are both big games. And the Jazz just lost to San Antonio. They did last night. They did. I mean, here's the deal: like, if the Thunder beat the Lakers tonight, which doesn't feel impossible, the Lakers are on a second night of a back-to-back too, and we have a full, I think uh, fully rested Gideon Dort out. Yeah, and LeBron's obviously out. Yeah, LeBron's out, and then. Like if they beat the Lakers and then beat the Jazz on Friday and Sunday, then like where's every how's everybody feeling then? Whenever they're sitting in tenth, you know. I mean, <laughs> and also because you look at these teams around them, like yeah. the Lakers obviously just lost LeBron. That's a huge blow, especially if you look forward at who they have to play the rest of the season. Yeah, Portland was up huge oh my on Golden gosh. State last night and then completely blew it. They blew it. There's still three games under 500. Yeah, New Orleans, who is in tenth has been awful for a while now. We're like going on like a month and a half of New Orleans just 15, being a bad team. Lost 15 in their last 20. They're in a free fall. So they're 5 and 15. Yeah. These are the teams above them. And then you come to the Jazz, 31 and 32, lost last night to San Antonio. Even above them, Minnesota, who I was actually feeling like kind of good about. They actually got a nice win last night against the Clippers. Yeah, but like for long stretches of that game, you didn't feel comfortable about them. Mm-mm. But even if you just go from the ninth down, like, are any of those teams so obviously better than the Thunder? Healthy? No, I don't think they are, and that's why I think that even if you want them to tank, it's just like it's just going to be natural that they're just going to hang out in this morass of teams. Yeah. They're, until the end of the season. Yeah, they're going to be in the mix. And like I one said, one of these teams has to catch some type of fire, even if it's just like maybe playing over 500 for a 10 game stretch, which none of these teams have done over their last 10. In who, fact, who would you pick? Who would you pick? If you look at the West standings, starting yeah. at the six seed Clippers, this is their record in the last 10 games four and six. Dallas, four and six. Yeah. Minnesota, four and six. Utah, four and six. New Orleans, four and six. Portland, four and six. LA, five and five. Wow. OKC, four and six. 
Like, none of these teams are capitalizing right now. No. No, nobody is. Who do you trust out of that group? From six to OKC, who do I trust? Wow. Um, man, uh, I don't have an answer, Andrew. I mean, I'd have to go with the Clippers, but it's like... Well, who have lost three in a row. That's yeah. like that's, And that's who I was about to go with. And it's like, well, they've lost three in a row. Yeah. Uh, uh, who do you think gets the last two playing spots? So it's like Utah, New Orleans, Portland, Lakers, Thunder are all in the mix for two spots. So it's like five teams uh, like trying to squeeze into two spots. Who who gets there? Because I think ultimately like Minnesota has been good enough to get there. I think Dallas is not going to lose every game by one possession. Yeah. Um, so like I think those teams will be fine. But then it's like – Utah, I don't. I mean that that losing to a team that had lost sixteen in a row is pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah, um, I I might have misspoke about the Lakers. I'm looking at their rest of season schedule strength. They actually have the third easiest schedule. They get yeah the Rockets twice, the Bulls twice, the Jazz twice. Whether that's easy or not, mm-hmm. um, so that's really unfortunate for them <laughs> that uh, they lost LeBron because they probably would have been the team you'd feel best about at this point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I don't really feel great about any of these teams. I agree with you on Minnesota and Dallas. It just seems like they have enough going for them. Also, it just would be so bad if either of them missed. It would be... Yeah, especially Dallas. So bad. So, so bad. Both I mean, Minnesota's kind of locked in to whatever they're doing, but Dallas, I mean, Kyrie could walk this summer. Well, he's going to walk no matter what happens. But. Wow, breaking news, breaking news. Insider Andrew Shalette. <laughs> uh, I can't even predict. I can't even predict these, these final teams. I, I know, like and this teams. is why you can't And it doesn't like, matter. None of these teams are good. And this is why you can't just be like, man, the Thunder are tanking, it's over, we're falling out. I mean, who knows, man? Who knows what's going to happen? Like trying to predict who knows, man? Look how chill you are this year. Look how chill you are. I'm chill this Andrew, year. Andrew of last season... You would be you'd be leading the tank train. You'd be yeah. a conductor. Choo choo. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like part of the the reason why I'm kind of whatever is that after two in this draft, man, I don't I don't know how you decide who is where. There's not even the Thompson twins, like you can find people that just don't like them all that much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the opinion on all of these guys is so all over the place that I do think that some of these picks, like I don't think one or two gets traded, but I think three through 10 can be had. And if you're the thunder and you end up at 10, heck you may end up with the guy that you like the most in that group. Anyways, like you just don't know. Like this draft is is all over the place, and everybody is so different too. That, like, who knows? Like, I don't know who, <clears throat> I don't know who the Thunder will end up liking in that range, but like maybe they get lucky, or maybe they can trade up, or maybe they just get the guy that they like, anyways. You know, there's not speaking of mm-hmm. getting the guy that they like, Andrew. Hey, it's a great transition. Whew. 
Uh, I didn't know if you were going to go to ad break, so I kind of ruined it. But uh, let's go to an ad break. Let's go to an. Oh gosh. We'll be right back after this quick break. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When it's time for me to find a job, I went right to LinkedIn Jobs. They helped me find the right employer, and it was, man, very, very easy process. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com dunk. That's linkedin.com dunk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And yeah, we're back after that quick break. Wow, that was really professional. That was podcast. really, really good. Really good. Uh, so Brian Windhorst wrote an article for ESPN.com, yep. which I clicked on it because everyone was saying, oh, it's behind the paywall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's not for me. Weird. Turns mm-hmm. out I've been paying for ESPN Plus for like the last nine months and had no idea. Wow. So I canceled it yesterday, um, but I got to read the article because it's $10 a month and I hadn't even been using it. That's a lot of uh, dollars. Anywho, this article was about what the Thunder did at the draft last year. Mm-hmm. And it leads off at the start of the NBA draft in June. The Oklahoma City Thunder had two missions get Chet Holmgren, get Jalen Williams. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Uh, so basically, he, he talks about how they were always kind of interested in Chet and that they, I don't know if he was implying that they knew this, but he says Holmgren wasn't going number one to the Orlando Magic, which I don't know why he said that. If he's saying that, like he knew that at the time, or if he's saying that in retrospect, but that was the first part of it. But then the stuff on J Dub is kind of interesting because, as we all know, they traded up to the 11th pick. With those three first-round picks, I guess, well, it's kind of trading up, mm-hmm. trading in to the 11th pick. Mm-hmm. And they took Usman Jang, and we've wondered forever. Now, why did they take Usman Jang at the 11th pick mm-hmm. instead of J-Dub? Why did they take J-Dub mm-hmm. at 12th? Whatever. This article by Windhorse says that the reason they did that was because they, even if it was a small chance of happening, if the Knicks deal fell through... They still wanted to make sure they got their guy, the guy they really wanted, Mm -hmm. which was Mm J-Dub, which is why they took J-Dub with their own pick at number 12, which, uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, did did he do it so it was part of the PG trade? Uh, That's my preferred preferred theory, yes. Well, and it can still be true. Uh, Well, not true, but it can still be true to you. And uh, that doesn't seem to be the reason. Now, 
now you can believe this or not. You know, I think the timing of this article is kind of interesting mm-hmm. uh, because clearly the Thunder contributed to this article. Like he he has some source within OKC based on this article. There's no question. And so OKC doesn't do that very often. So like, what would be the reason for them suddenly wanting to contribute to a story? Pumping up J Dub, I guess. Pumping up, pumping up them themselves about J Dub. Right. That's that's kind of how I read it. Like, hey, we're pretty smart. Check this out. But also, it seemed like a response. I, th- I think there were two things. One, it was a response to the Jabari Smith Jr. article yeah. where his dad said that they had made a promise to Jabari Smith Jr. Yeah. This article seems to. It I is. Mean, a, it doesn't even bring it up. Yeah. It is a way. Yeah. It is a way to to push back at that without directly responding to it, which I think is I think is good. It's the it's the right way to handle it because it was untrue from the moment it was written. <laughs> And I right. and I said that on the show was that two weeks ago, yeah. It was. It's been untrue for for a while. At the same time, it's like who cares? Like who does that really impact? If anyone does believe that they had a promise to Jabari Smith Jr., I mean, I guess if if an agent really believed that and it bothered them, it ruffled their feathers, perhaps. But okay, well, maybe let's that's just, let's just like just things that just are flat out untrue, just being out there, right. But also, like, if Jabari Smith Jr. was playing well and was like a Rookie of the Year candidate, yeah. do they release this article? I mean, are they as are they as interested in letting everyone know that they didn't make? Maybe it a not. Maybe they they just don't want the Jabari Smith stink on them. They don't like want this. That's like, what I'm saying. That's this, what I'm saying. This rocket the, stink on them. And I don't know if it's a stink, but I the second part of this making it known that like J Dub was the player they really wanted. Even though they took a player before him, Usman uh-huh. Jang, who who is not having a great rookie season, yeah. all things considered, obviously still young, blah blah blah. I, I thought that was really interesting too. Like mm-hmm. both of these main two points are getting out the idea that hey, the Thunder are smart. Listen, check out what the Thunder did. They wanted this guy and this guy, who everyone is still feeling good about. Yep. I mean, J Dubs. I mean, just came off one of his best games of the season. He's great. And, it, and, and so it, to put it out there yeah. that he's the guy that you really wanted the whole time makes you look good, obviously. Also, um, also maybe uh, conspiracy theory. Yeah, maybe they sat Gideon Dort to give J Dub the stats to back up the article. Oh, to boost the article, to boost the engagement. <laughs> wow, that's not really true, but that's it fun. could be. It's fun to think about. Um, but Windhorse talks about how you know they knew there was a team that wanted to get up to. 11, 11, yeah. To get Usman Jang. Yeah. Um, which was interesting because he's kind of framing this as they wanted to get up to 11 to prevent anyone else from taking J-Dub before they could take him at 12. But then he talks about a team moving up to 11 for Jang. For Jang, yeah. Or it's like, so that, that's a confusing. It, like, it's never made clear in here that there was a team willing to move up to 11 specifically yeah. to take J-Dub. Yeah, my, my guess is that they knew a team wanted 11. And, and they probably knew that teams like J-Dub. Now, whether they were actually willing to give up the picks to move up to 11th, yeah. maybe they didn't know that at the time. Maybe they just knew that teams liked him. Yeah. yeah. I think he actually named some of the teams that like J-Dub. Well, mm. well, and the truth is, like, teams did want Jang. Like, that is true, that right. teams like Cleveland wanted to get jang like i that is true and so, and also it's true that the thunder wanted jang as well 
you know. Uh, I, oh, I, he said he said the Atlanta Hawks and Memphis Grizzlies in particular are specialists at moving around in the draft and identifying players as diamonds in the rough. He didn't necessarily specify that they were interested in Jada, but he just gave them as examples of teams that yeah. would be willing to move up I mean, just, if they liked a guy. I mean, just think about how he would look – you know, on Memphis right now. He'd be kind of perfect. He The thing about Jadup is like he's kind of perfect for everybody. But them in particular, I mean, that's kind of what they need. They need a they ball need handler, a big they need wing a wing. Yeah. Who they trust, who is not Dylan Brooks. I know he's not like a big wing, but... They need, yeah, yeah they need to find their Dylan Brooks replacement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and also like the Cavs could very much use him. They they need that size of player on the wing that can do something. And you know Oh, I take it back. I didn't realize Dylan Brooks was six seven. I apologize, Dylan Brooks. I thought which, he was shorter than that. Oh, I don't know. He's big. He's a he's a big dog. Um Yeah, I, it was an interesting article. It's all true, obviously. I don't think they'd print it if it wasn't true. But it's uh it is interesting that like if the Thunder were to to have their choice of Jang and J Dub at the draft, if they could only choose one, it was this gonna, article suggests that it would have been J Dub. It was gonna be J Dub, like that's that is accurate. And so, which makes you feel good if you believe that this is all true because he's been awesome. Yeah, it is true. It is true, and he is awesome. And that's it is I mean, true, and he is awesome. It's. It is a big deal to get a guy like that at 12. It is a potential franchise changer to get one of those guys. Um, like a, I mean, like Donovan Mitchell was for Utah, you know? Right. Like it is well, a it's the kind of thing, like, huge I'm, deal. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not putting this curse on Usman Jang, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm not putting this curse. Don't do it. But remember when the Clippers had two picks – at the end of the lottery. Yeah. Who'd they take? SGA and Jerome Robinson. Yep. Who you've never heard from again. And it doesn't matter because they drafted SGA, exactly. which allowed them to get PG and Kawhi. Mm-hmm. So I, I know there are people out there who are stressing out about Usman Jang a little bit. And I get it. Like they, they gave up three picks for him. I know they have a ton of picks coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not worried about it in part because of how good J Dub has been. Yeah. Like, if we look back in 10 years and they just nailed one of those picks, you know, the, the Jang and J-Dub picks, like that's all that's going to matter, honestly. Yeah. It, 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 it won't be that big of a deal if Jang doesn't pan out. The fact that we already feel this good about J-Dub and Jang s- still could pan out makes me feel pretty good, even yeah. though I was not a big Jang fan to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're picking at 11 and 12, like you're just lucky if – those pan out, you know, like picks in that range. Usually both of those don't pan out. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not stressed about Jang. I, Sounds like you're not stressed about anything, Andrew. Uh, this is the, this is the gravy year, man. This is the gravy year. You can't, you can't get mad about it. You can't anyway. mad at gravy. No, I can me. sure try. I can sure try. Let's bring up Trey man. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I just thought it was interesting that in both of these last two games, they haven't completely staggered 
Giddy and J Dub. Yeah. In fact, it doesn't seem like they've that's been a focus at all. Yeah. Instead, the focus has been let's get Trey Mann some time running a unit. Yeah. Where where he is like the main ball handler on the five man unit that is on the court. Yep. And he got that opportunity for a while last night. And I don't know, like you know, I don't have strong opinions on Trey Mann at this point. Um, I'm not super invested. You know, I kind of need him to pull me back in. <sighs> if yeah. I was going to be positive, I would say that, like, process-wise, like, there is some good stuff. Like, he's way more confident. He's playing more confidently than he was a few months ago when he, like, wouldn't take a shot. Like, at least we saw him go to his step back a couple times mm-hmm. last night. And I did think there was one play in particular defensively where he was – I forget who it was. It might have been Keegan Murray who he was, like, tracking down the lane, passed it off to Sabonis – there were three Thunder players. The one who jumped and tried to actually contest the bonus was yeah. Trey Mann. Yeah. Got to yeah. give him credit for that. Yeah, I remember that moment. It was a nice mo- little moment there. It was Trey. a nice moment. He had, I think he had six assists. Watching it back, none of them were you know, mind-blowing in any way. No. Um, but I, I appreciate that the, the coaching staff is trying to get him this time. Yeah. Because I, I think we feel like as long as he's missing all of his threes, and it does feel like he misses a lot of his threes. Mm-hmm. The best chance he has for success is if he has the ball in his hands where he can go get to that step back where he can make decisions and they're giving him that opportunity right now. And I wouldn't say he's seizing the opportunity because he's not. You know, he was three for nine last night. Yeah. But you know, at this point in the season, I'm fine with him getting that opportunity because I wasn't completely ready to write him off. And so they're giving us this, you know, this kind of extended look at him that we weren't getting early in the season. Yeah. It's not been good. He's he he's shooting thirty eight percent from the field this season. Mm-hmm. You just you just can't uh... you just can't make it in the league like that. Like you just can't do it. Especially when there's other guys like Isaiah Joe, who didn't have a great night last night, but like still, like we know what we're getting from Isaiah Joe. You yeah. have J Dub, you have Shea, you have Giddy. Like there's just not room. Like he's gonna have to learn how to play off ball better if he's gonna make it. Like period, the end. And then like learn to pick his spots. Cause I, I do think that there's some of the like, hey, he's gotta have so many possessions handling the ball kind of thing. Like, yeah. Without a doubt, but when even when he has those, he doesn't always take advantage of it, and so I, I don't know. Like he's, I'm I'm not completely out. Like he's gonna have another chance next year, or maybe not. Maybe they trade him. I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do, but the rest of this year is pretty big for Trey Man, and we had high hopes for him at the beginning of the season, and I don't think like his. Career is completely over here with the Thunder or in the league, but he's got to show some more aggression as an offensive player, and he's got to make shots. Yeah, and I'm not positive that the minutes will be there next year. I know you and McKelly were talking about this on Monday. Like, you know, there's still going to be some opportunities for these guys. You're mostly referring to all the bigs. Yeah, but like, if we if Chet's healthy, he's probably playing around 30 minutes. Yeah. in that center position. And that is not just going to affect the bigs mm-hmm. because we've seen that they've been willing to play like Kenrich at the five. Yeah. That is going to affect the minutes for everyone. Yeah, it's true. 
And so guys like Kenrich, who have been able to play some five, are going to get moved down a spot if if he's going to be be able yeah, to get minutes. Yeah, it's true because like J Dub has played four at times, and like yeah, he's he's going to be moved to guard probably more often next year. With and so maybe guys. those yeah. minutes do evaporate for Trey, and this kind of is his shot. Yeah, it, if everyone's healthy, it, of course. It could that could very well be the case, and then we don't know who they're getting in the draft either. Like if they do draft a guy like Jarris Walker, you know, yeah, like your big minutes are taken up there with he and Chet. Like they're going to eat up most of the minutes. Or if you draft another, like maybe the, what if they did draft Keontae George and they're like, hey, good try, Trey man, but we're going to put this guy in your slot now and let him yeah. come off the bench and get buckets. Uh, or if they drafted Anthony Black and they're like, hey, we like this six seven kind of. Swiss Army knife type of player and like Trey Man, your minutes are gone now. Um, so it is a big opportunity for him that he's kind of letting slip away, honestly. And this is gonna happen. Like this this is just the NBA. It's like these opportunities for these guys are can be really quick. And if they don't seize it, it's gone. I mean, Aaron Wiggins has seized the opportunity. He's played really well. And he's a guy that I could, you know, foresee being a part of this team uh, in the future. And it's because of the way he's played defense. It's because of the way he shot the basketball. I mean, he's, uh, let's see, f- he's almost 50, nearly 50, 40, 83 shooting splits this season. Who is that? Wiggins. Wiggins. I mean, you have to seize that moment. And if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And like, those are Presti's words, <laughs> you know, and that'll, and like we talked about that with JRE, you know, like he's, he's got to play better. Same with Jang, same with Poku. Like some of these guys that we've been invested in are going to get left behind and yeah. in their place could be guys picking the fifties, Aaron Wiggins guy who was picked up off the scrap heap and Isaiah Joe. Like, it doesn't have to be someone that was drafted. You know, the the Thunder have done well, you know, f- just finding guys. It could be, you know, Jay Will, who was picked in the second round. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, this guy has had some moments this year. So Yeah, it's it's been a struggle with Jerry, and I don't know how much of that is just him coming back from what was uh, called an impressive ankle sprain. Yeah, because um, obviously that would affect your mobility mm-hmm. even as you're coming back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've just been really dis- I, I I just don't know what to point to with JRE as like this is the thing. This is what he does. He's got a really big chin beard. He does. I mean, last year, remember the highlight was that defensive play on Harden. Yeah, where he was, you know, switching his hips back and forth. He looked so flexible, so mobile. Flipping his hips, flipping his hips, <laughs> and uh, there just haven't been moments like that. And and in, <laughs> the opposite is that around the rim, I think he's just been bad um, <sighs> as any kind of deterrent. I mean, I'm not expecting him to be a rim protector, but just as a deterrent, as an obstacle to the basket, yeah. I do not think he's been good. Yeah, and his like his corner three just has not fallen. He hit one last night, but it was after like getting a second chance in the same possession. Yeah, let's see what he's so he's shooting well, from the corner thirty percent. 
this this is on cleaning glass, so it might not be the same. Yeah, yeah. This is on basketball on basketball reference. He's thirty one point three percent from the corners. And to be honest, he wasn't great last year. He was thirty five percent. Yeah, uh, from the corners. Yeah. Still, it's just like God, it's just it's just not good enough. Like just yeah. flat and out, like, it's not going to be good enough. Shooting fifty seven percent at the rim as a big. That's in the sixth percentile of bigs. It feels right though, like that matches the eye test with with Jeremiah. Is like these, yeah. If he's not in transition and he actually like is challenged by someone at the rim, yeah. It's, I, and also he just might be caught as a tweener, like the worst kind of tweener. You know, we've talked about this. The worst kind of tweener. The worst kind of tweener. Remember when that was the big thing with Jeff Green? Everyone was freaking out that he was a tweener. He w- and he was. He Definitely. was. He's still in the NBA. Shout out to him. Shout out. He became the, the worst kind of tweener back then used to be you're caught between the three and the four, right? Yeah. Now it's if you're caught between the four and the five because you're too small to defend fives and you're too slow to defend fours. Yeah. Like now the Jeff Green tweener is the right kind of tweener. That was the, tweener. This is the wrong one. This is the wrong kind because back then like Jer- Jeremiah could play four and he can some – but like now fours are just basically wings in the NBA. Right. Yeah. And you have to be able to defend those kind of guys. Or you have to be a guy like Keegan Murray who just is like a lights out shooter. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny now looking back to the preseason where we this is before Chet's injury. Yeah. Our our prediction for the starting lineup was front court of JRE and Chet. Yeah. And even even if Jerry was playing okay, I, I don't think that would be my choice going into next season. Anyways, like his his skill set no. just like isn't really what I'm looking for. What would your what, prediction? I, what would your prediction be for next year? At the for four, next year, at the four. I mean, if you want Shea, Giddy, Dort, and J Dub to be in the starting lineup, there's only one way you can do it. Mm-hmm. So if you're if if you're if that's not your answer, then Somebody's going to the bench, mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm ready for that conversation yet because we don't know who they drafted. I mean, maybe after they drafted, I'll be like, oh, yeah, send this guy to the bench. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, somebody somebody will get sent to the bench eventually. That's I don't think that's going to be their locked-in starting lineup forever. Mm-hmm. But it could be Dort. It could be Giddy. Yeah. I do think SGA and J-Dub and Chet, if healthy, feel like the easiest locks. I would agree with that sentiment for sure. And then we'll see what they do at the draft and like how ready that player is. Like who knows if they, if they draft Ryan Rupert, like Ryan Rupert, like that guy's coming off the bench for sure. <laughs> if he's, if he like is not with the blue, you know, um, maybe they draft so, Chris Murray, Keegan's brother who looks Keegan's exactly brother. like him. They're not twins, though. I don't think they're twins. Am I wrong? Let us know in the chat. I don't think. Let us know in the chat. Are they twins? Twenty-two and a half. Maybe they are. Maybe they are twins. I didn't think they were. Uh, they are twins. They are twins. That is all. And it's gonna blow your mind. They're identical twins. <laughs> well, that makes way more sense because they look exactly alike. Uh, last thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Shams had an article about the CBA negotiations moving forward. Yeah. Here's some stuff that may be relevant to the Thunder. 
down the road in terms of extensions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the thing that, of course, jumped out to me was that they are talking about allowing 18-year-olds in, which would mostly get away with the one-and-done rule. Yep. Although, in the case of someone like Scoot Henderson, I mean, he was 17 and went to the G League, so he would still have to wait in this scenario. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, But that opens the door for a double draft. Triggering the double draft. Which I believe once upon a time we thought was going to happen in 2021. Yep. Or maybe 2022. No. So the current CBA runs through next season. Mm -hmm. So it's unlikely that this would actually happen before the 2025 draft. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. But let's just say you could have your choice. Mm -hmm. Starting with this year's draft. Mm Mm-hmm. And the next four drafts, so 23, 24, 25, 26. Which draft would you pick to be the double draft if you're trying to optimize OKC's position? Ooh, good question. Let me find. Let me tell you their draft picks. Yeah, I was going to say, I have a a doc that I need to find that has all their draft pick info. Because like so that's what really you, matters is you probably wouldn't choose this year because they only have their own definitely pick not this year. Next not this year. next year, you could make the case. So next year, we're definitely getting the Clippers pick unprotected. Definitely, the Houston it. pick is protected one through four. Yeah, and then they have that Utah pick, which is protected one through ten. Which who knows? I mean that could, that could convey. It could convey. That actually might be like more than fifty percent of conveying. So they yeah. could end up with four picks in next year's draft yeah that's a big one and the draft is supposedly not good which would help boost it it would boost it give a little boost we need some boosting now in 25 they potentially have that pick from miami but it's lottery protected so it wouldn't be great um they do have that kind of juicy pick from the sixers especially when you read all this stuff about the sixers oh my gosh Um, it's only protected one through six in 2025 yeah and then they would have their own pick, obviously. What would make that draft interesting is the 26 draft is kind of seen as like the amazing draft with like Cooper Flag and Carlos Boozer's son, mm-hmm. who I forget his first name. Um, so if you combine them into the 25 draft, Thunder maybe have two picks upside of three picks mm-hmm. in that draft. I think ideally, though, 2026, because you're getting the Clippers pick. You get another Houston pick, top four protected. Top four protected, yep. And those picks from the previous year could potentially still roll over. Like, what if Philadelphia just completely bottoms out because they've traded Embiid, Harden went to Houston for whatever reason, and they're really bad in 2025, and then it's only top four protected in 2026? Mm-hmm. Who knows what happens with that Miami pick if they if they don't make the playoffs for some reason, and yep. then that becomes unprotected could in be 2026? Juicy. Could be juicy. And that's a really juicy draft. Yeah. Where even if something goes horribly wrong with the yeah. Thunder over these next three seasons, that 26 draft is potentially setting up as like a, a reset point if they needed it. Yeah. Now, hopefully everything goes well and we and all these guys are still here and we're all happy and they're, they're contenders. But even if that doesn't happen, there is this like pivot point in 2026 where they, they could potentially reset a lot of their team. Yeah. I th- or add to it. Or add to it. I think I would still prefer the 2020. F- I would prefer 2024 and basically like give me the 
let's get all the good prospects in 24 when the Thunder could have potentially four picks. And that also makes the 2025 draft a half draft. Yeah, half a draft. Which, which is when they have like their weakest asset collection. Yeah, it's basically just like all these swaps and conditions. And like, if this doesn't happen, then that happens. And if this doesn't happen, then that happens. You know, it's right. not, you don't get a Clippers pick that year. Um, so, yeah, that's that would be certainly my preference for if they if they did. And it's, I mean, I guess it's not impossible that that is the case. Either way, sounds like we're getting a double draft, Andrew. We're getting ourselves a double draft, and I cannot wait for the double draft. But yeah, like give and I, give me twenty four, and then give me twenty six. Like load load those drafts up because, and who knows? I mean, they they could trade those picks for players. Like who knows? But it it just adds value. If twenty twenty six is already going to be valuable, then like give me give me value in twenty four. I uh, I've I've seen like Sam Vecini talked about because the other part of this story was that you know NBA NBA vets are a little worried mm-hmm. because if you have this huge influx of players in one year, it's going to kick a lot of vets out more than would normally be kicked out in any given season. Mm -hmm. So some guys are going to probably lose a season of their NBA career because of that. Um, So he was talking about, you know, maybe they put in a a provision where, you know, based on age, some guys have to go to the G League first, or maybe you have like a designated veteran spot on every roster Mm -hmm. that is specifically for a vet, which I kind of like that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, you know, somebody in the Discord brought up, well, what if they just timed it with league expansion? which that would help as well. Yeah. If you have league expansion, you're going to have, you know, however many more roster spots available, 30 more roster spots available mm-hmm. plus four. So 34 roster spots available. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's the way they do it. But there, there are, there was, there were enough good ideas out there that I feel like, okay, this probably is going to happen. There are enough yeah. options out there to figure this out. Yeah. What do you think about the veteran rule? The poten- what do you mean? The potential like, you have to have a certain amount of veterans on your team to draft an 18-year-old rule. Oh. Have you seen uh, that? No, I haven't seen that yeah, one. Yeah, Shams had that in his article. Uh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what they would, one, consider a vet, Yeah, and then two, how many would you need? It's prob- it probably has to be, and I don't know if the, this will even get passed, but I know that there's a it's a push on the player side that, like, one, veterans aren't just going to lose their slots. To right. to young guys and then to like, hey, you can't bring in eighteen year olds and have twenty one year olds teaching them how to play the game, you know? Yeah, like you gotta have no, somebody. I, I get that. Well, maybe in that case, uh, OKC would have had to hang on to Moose, you know, to meet their quota. Hey, maybe of old guys. I don't know if that'll actually get passed or not, but like that's currently being negotiated. So, I mean, I'm, I I would just say after reading that CBA article. There was nothing that immediately jumped out as like, oh, this is going to screw OKC. <laughs> so that that's good. I'm sure there will be something, but it hasn't revealed itself yet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the fact that there's like not a hard cap, like that that's completely off the table is really good. For, is that? For the Thunder. Oh, yeah. Why is that good for the Thunder? The hard, I mean, the hard cap would be a disaster. A disaster. Oh, just because they wouldn't be able to market. potentially keep all their young guys if they were all happen to be good? That and then what what happens is like all the good players are going to get their money, and then you have your minimum guys, and then like all the guys in the middle now basically are going to make the same money. 
Yeah. And now they just choose what market they want to go to. And you're saying... And I'm saying they're not coming here. Andrew. And I'm saying, like, the rich get richer. And they also don't have to pay, like, crazy luxury tax bills anymore. So, like, you think, oh, man, this is great because then the Warriors just can't spin their way to a great team. The Warriors are going to get a great team anyways. Because people are going to want to go play there. The Lakers are going to get their, the guys they want. People are just going to go play there. If you're limited by this is how much they can get paid, fine. We'll still go to these markets. And then OKC gets screwed because, wow, we've drafted seven guys that we really like. Well, you can only keep four. You know? So, well, it's, it's that's, a, okay. That's good then. It's a really, I, I do like the idea. It's a really good thing. That they're going to try to make it easier for teams to dip into the tax. Yeah, so that I th- it's not yeah, as prohibitive just to cross it by however much. I think if they could do that, that would be a great thing for Oklahoma City. Yeah, I, I, w- I would like that. Yeah. Um, last thing, Andrew, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, who we are watching this week, um, they're yeah. having an upcoming bobblehead night. Oh. Uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make the Thunder aware they're doing a outcast bobblehead, which is very cool, and I'm saying why can't OKC do like a Reba bobblehead? Oh my uh, wouldn't, gosh! Wouldn't you love having a Reba bobblehead or yes. a Garth Brooks bobblehead? Yes. I mean, honestly, I just want bobbleheads, so I'll take anything at this point. But, but Atlanta opened my mind to the possibility of it doesn't have to be players. Yeah. Like, it could be. It could be just local celebrities. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Yeah. No, you could do a uh, a Flaming Lips bobblehead where it's. Mm. Uh, the a Wayne Coin bobblehead. A Wayne oh. Coin. Wait, in a uh, bubble. I was gonna say that's what I was gonna say. A bubble bobblehead. A bubble bobblehead. I love it. Who wouldn't want a bubble bobblehead? Who wouldn't want a bubble bobblehead? I want one. Uh, okay. Just to recap, neither of us are out on Giddy. Like I don't want to give anybody the impression that we're out on Giddy or they think that he's not good or anything. We both still think he's good. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just thinking about him differently than I was a year ago, as I explained. Yeah, he doesn't have to be the second best player on this team anymore, and as a result, I'm not as worried about his weaknesses while still acknowledging that they are there. Yeah, and he still has upside to be a very good player because he's yes. only 20 years yes, old. Yes, I'm not capping him, capping his ceiling. Yeah, but you know, you need high end players like him, like like Draymond Green, who's been an All Star. Like he has a ton of limitations as a player. Like if you if you were to plop him onto Charlotte or whatever, like he would have never ever made an All Star team, and people would be like, I don't really know what this guy does besides like get real mad, you know. Um, Which, as we talked about with Coach Dignall, is a skill. Getting mad is a skill. Getting mad is cool, and it's <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> um, but like if he if he has if his destiny ends up being uh, a high level connector piece for a team like those players are tremendously valuable as as you uh, detailed in the Stephen Adams All Stars on Slam and Jam a guy like Lonzo you know if like Giddy became like a Lonzo like a basically like a bigger Lonzo that's a little bit more versatile because he can play more positions it's like that's actually like kind of awesome and like kind of what a team would need that has multiple like good players yeah offensively i can dream about that comparison um obviously lonzo was a really poor shooter became a really good shooter another player who could never get to the line yeah and so like 
you, you see the similarities if Josh can develop a shot. Defensively, I don't know how that ever happens. But Yeah, and I'm not necessarily comparing the defensive roles. Like he's he one he's like gotta get better. And he's been better than he was last night. Last night was just was not a great great moment for Josh. But they get another chance tonight against the Lakers. So should be an interesting one and kind of an important one for uh the people that don't believe the Thunder are tanking. So uh tune in for that. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you guys again on Friday.